my gosh. We are back. We are back. We are back. It is full Woe Big Off season. It is full training camp. We are fully in Lefko show mode. Ingber and Lefko here to get it going. Got an awesome interview coming up in just a few minutes with Jordy Nelson. Got another great interview coming up later on with Kyle Rudolph. We got NFL good guys. We got quarterback dancing list at a wedding. We have Woe Big Off season. And I went into a float tank this weekend. Yeah. We'll talk about that at the end. And you've been floating ever since. I'm floating, man. Like a butterfly stinging like a bee. But I think what's really cool is, too, I just did a check. I did not even announce this on the podcast yet, but I put it out on Friday on the internets. Who wants to join the Lefko Football Gridiron League? And the people came out in force. Let's fucking go, league. The LFG. We are currently at, at 800. I love it. 800 people have signed up to play in the Let's Fucking Go League. Let's get into four four digit territory. Let's go. Last year we had 396. We have 800 right now, which is incredible. <laughs> William Ezel, the Saints fan, has already reached out to some of the people that have said, "Yes, I'll be a commissioner." We are going to make the cutoff Tuesday. What is today's date? Tuesday, July 30th at 5 p.m. At 5 p.m., I'm putting a hard line in the sand. If you hear this after the fact and you missed out, bro, I'm sorry. So um, so check out social. It's on Twitter right now. Uh, and then, again, if you're filling out the forms, you have a Twitter or an Instagram. It's all good. But um, William Ezel is the guy. I will put out the links one more time on Tuesday morning, but we are shutting it down Tuesday at 5 p.m. However many people we get is what we're going to do. I have no idea how we're going to run 70, 80 leagues, <laughs> but also what we're going to do. Thursday, August 22nd is going to be the draft night. Because? Well, last year... We let all the commissioners talk to all their people and figure out the best time to draft. It's just too many moving parts. Right. We are going to sign everybody up Thursday, August 22nd. We are going to be in Vegas. That's what I wanted to get to. And so I'm going to, you know, we have our studios in Vegas. I'm going to do the draft like Thursday at 8 o'clock Eastern is going to be the draft. So 5 o'clock West Coast time. But I'm going to be doing the draft live. We're going to do everybody. And what I really want to do is take videos, make them as creative as and funny as possible of how you're drafting. It could be outfit. It could be location. You could be like having like a team of 70 people of toddlers picking your team for you. But I really want you on Instagram stories or on Twitter tagging the Lefko show and sending how you're drafting. Cause I'm going to be in Vegas with all the like, cool, like um, what's it called? The sports book behind thank you. you. Yeah. The sports book will be behind me, but I'm thinking Thursday, August 22nd will be the draft. I'm working with Ezel right now. It's looking like a half point PPR. I don't want kickers. I mean, we talked about with the fantasy footballers. I think we go through with it. Okay. Um, but I'm thinking right now the playoffs might be 13 and 14 with a grand championship on 15. And that's like the winner of the winners. The and winner then... of the winners is week 15. I just, I'm always tired of week 16 happening and Patrick Mahomes isn't playing. Right. There's some team that's locked up everything. And so let's, let's fix this shit and not do kickers. 
and have the championship in week 15 when <laughs> I've never seen a team rest people in week 15. Yeah, you'd have to, some crazy things would have to happen for it. It'd have to be like a 15 and 0 team or 14 and 0 team. In the worst division possible, yes. right? So I just, I'm tired of week 16 defend, like determining championships, but the league is coming together. Mm-hmm. So I think August 22nd, and then the cutoff will be Tuesday, July 30th at 5, p- at 5 p.m. And if you're looking for creative ways to do your draft, as Lefko mentioned, extra points if uh, all the guys in your league are in a sensory deprivation tank and they're all floating yeah. there with their laptops. That would be incredible. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to draft. I'm like just saying, that. extra points if you can pull that off. I'm also thinking, and Ingber, I'm curious what you think. I had a guy reach out to my DMs and say, man, we need to bet on that Bears-Eagles game. Mm. I've decided, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, I want to bet against a fan whoever the Eagles are playing that week. Oh, that's just a, that's your gimmick. That's just one of my things I do. Sure. So if they play the Giants, I want one Giants fan. I want like a $100 Venmo bet. Don't make the bet if you can't afford $100. If we play the Colts, I want a Colts fan. Do we need to like wink, wink, you Venmo it to someone on a barge in the, yeah, uh, you know, in the Caribbean, then they Venmo it back to yeah, you yeah, somehow, yeah. so it's all kind of kosher? But then, you know what we could do? Maybe there's also something that you have to do for me and that I have to do for you mm-hmm. so that it's really like I did something for the $100. Yeah, that like if they want you to like leave an outgoing voicemail yes. for, you know, like some special occasion or yeah, leave, a, yeah, leave yeah. a voicemail for someone. Or I want them to... To record something like really embarrassing for the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's worked labor getting but, a Giants fan to admit like that the Eagles are the greatest team uh, in the NFC East, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then maybe they get a shout out on the podcast where like I hold up a picture of them and say everybody should follow this person. They're really great. Screw my life. And would you be you'd be you'd be betting on the Eagles yeah, whoever the they're spread. playing. I don't even know if I want it against the spread. I kind of want it money line. Just straight up. Yeah, because we're going to be doing so many gambling stuff during the show normally sure. that I want that one to be more pride. Just the Eagles Just win. win. So yeah. then, yeah, so if the Eagles go 13-3, and three, then you go 13-3 and three on the year. That's what I'm saying. So you're betting on your team. I like this. Yeah, well, we'll you know what? We'll figure it out. Yeah. But I, I want to bet against people every week. I want them to be in the action, too. Okay. I think it'll be good. Uh, so... I have a tweet right now. It's starting to bust a little bit. We did it last year. I did it again this year, the NFL good guys. Uh, And what I kind of did was I just sat with my notebook and I went through every team in the NFL and I tried to find those charitable storylines that have maybe faded away that people forgot about. We're about to start talking about holdouts and roster cuts, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important you know, and, and off the field issues to remind everybody of all the good shit that happens every year. And for me, it's, it's fun because I forget about some of these stories. You know, I forget about Kenny Moore paying for a funeral and then also saving a dog's life. Oh, right, right. We forget about these, but they were a huge deal for 24 hours huge or something. Huge deal. I'm so impressed at what I've seen with Anthony Lynn and going to Tanzania and building a school for 300 kids. And then I read more today, and he talks about this is not just a one-time thing. I'm going to Tanzania every summer for the foreseeable future. Amazing. That just makes you feel so good. Like when you when we start questioning Anthony Lynn's offensive strategies midway through the year, just to know that like as soon as the season's over, he's going to like a country that needs his help like that. Um, even the little ones, like I, I see um, 
who's the running? Aaron Jones just started pushing an old lady at an airport because nobody was around. And then I think about myself, like I would see an old lady at the airport being like, hello. And I'd be like, man, it sucks for her. <laughs> Aaron Jones is just pushing without even asking or like telling people he's just doing it. Like from the big things like going halfway across the world to the little things of like the decency in an airport, things I would never do. I just appreciate those stories so much. It makes me feel happy. Yeah, and for these celebrities that do it. So if if you pushed a, a woman that needed it in the airport, that's a nice thing. It doesn't devalue that. Yeah. But, it, but a famous guy, he must in the back of his head know that someone might catch this and put it up on Instagram. So it's only a win for him, right? So you might as well do it if you're right. famous, right? Just just give 30 seconds of your time. Someone might put it on Instagram. Yeah. You, you're seen as a great guy. And then at the absolute worst, a bunch of people see it and they go, hey, maybe I'll do that too. But you know what's awesome? Awesome. Aaron Jones didn't know that he was photographed until after he got off his flight. And That's went the on best. Twitter. So for hours, this was building. And, but what I love is, is that you can do it for attention or you could avoid it, the attention, and the attention finds you because that's how good deeds work. Right. Like everyone's talking about how Zeke's holding out. Zeke paid a funeral for a kid in St. Louis that got shot by a stray bullet. And he was not the one that told the media. The kid's mom did. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, Zeke just wants the money. He just wants the attention. But then he goes and does that and doesn't seek it. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hits me even harder is sure. The Saints, you know, was working with the media to kind of go and and build this wheelchair ramp. But then I see like this kid, Dre, um, that really, really surprised me that I, I wanted to spotlight more because, look, I'm learning about some of these good stuff, too. I don't have all these saves. You know, I'm going through Google and I'm trying to find it. So when I see about this kid, Dre, who was a fifth round pick by the San Francisco 49ers, the 49ers didn't even know about this story. But it comes out after he was drafted that Dre Greenlaw was in college and the father of a daughter that went to a college party. Something was slipped into her drink. She was cornered. And this kid, as a freshman on the Arkansas football team, who knew this girl slightly, not even a lot, got in the way of this other person, stopped it, kind of pushed him out of the way, sent him home, and made sure that this girl got home safe. And the dad put out a Twitter thread saying, I've never told the story. He's never told the story. I just want Niners fans to know they got a good one. This happened like four years ago, Ingber. And, and like if I was in a job interview in the NFL and someone wanted to say, what's your character? I would have been like, well, there's one time my freshman year. The fact that it never even came out until after he was drafted. They're not even doing it for attention sometimes. Yeah. You know, like sometimes it's photo ops, but sometimes it's just the really good motherfuckers. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in like the three or four guys that get arrested. And instead of like the three or four guys that are that are like Greg Olson or Thomas Davis or Larry Fitzgerald or Chris Long, like we know about those guys, but I've never heard of Dre Greenlaw. It's classic you know? confirmation bias because if you read three or four headlines that go beyond the sports website world, yes. that there have been some arrests, right? If, if something horrible happens oh, yeah. with domestic violence, it's going to go way beyond just BleacherReport.com. It's going to go to a lot of mainstream sites. And it might not even sites. be arrests. It might just be money. Sure. Melvin Gordon holding out, Zeke holding out, Antonio Brown. You go, oh, these guys are greedy. Right. So you, you read three or four of those and yes. you just ascribe that to the entire population of NFL guys. But if you read 30 different stories in a row of them being a good guy, people have this ability 
ability to say, eh, it's just 30 good guys out of hundreds and hundreds yeah. in this one league. It's like, no, no, no. If you're going to, you're going to have it both ways. If you want to take three or four anecdotes and make that about the yeah. entire NFL, then you should take these good guys ones too and make, hey, there's a lot of good guys in the NFL. And I think for me, I think long and hard about, well, what kind of NFL show is a left go show? Because I think about that. Because I want to stay true, like a true North. And I would say that featuring the good characters in the NFL and then doing fun shit like ranking them in terms of how they would dance at a wedding. Like that's, I know it sounds like a really weird subset of the NFL, but that's where I want to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I, everyone can break down salary cap implications. Everyone can break down all 22 and, and the importance of offensive line. And is this going to be the year of play action? We can all have those conversations. I just think there's this white space of talking about character and, we do it in every other league, and I just think it's about time we do it for the NFL. There's a lot of room in media for a lot of different kinds of people. Stephen A. does what Stephen A. Yeah. does, right? Darren Ravel does what Darren Ravel yeah. does. Love them or hate them, that's what they do. They have their market. They found their niche. And, you know, you want to you find out what people aren't doing and what you're excited about talking about. Yes. So I did put out my dance circle wedding rankings. Uh, it's another thread on my Twitter if you want to check it out. Um I will give you my top five, my bottom five, and then Ingber, you can poke holes because I don't even know if you've seen this yet. I'm taking a look now. Um, number one, and I'll do a little description so it explains it. Number one is Baker Mayfield. Uh, part of what I think makes a great dance circle is a little bit of the unexpected. Mm -hmm. I had Cam Newton at three, Deshaun Watson at two, Fitzpatrick at four, Jameis at five. Give you a quick reasoning. Cam Newton... There's very high expectations. So we're excited to see Cam Newton in the dance circle, but I always think we're going to be a little underwhelmed because we're expecting something crazy. Interesting. Deshaun Watson, I watched him do a dance circle in Clemson, and I posted the video, and he was so smooth with it. And I also think that we expect Deshaun to be a little bit quieter, that when he nails it in the dance circle, it takes it to the top. But Baker is the perfect mix, where we expect, but we're always still surprised. And when you watch the dance circle video, it had the most important aspects. People were calling him, mm. which means they know. At the end, he's going, who's next? Which means he's keeping the dance circle alive. Like being an improviser. You have to be generous and give to the next partner. And I think it's important in these videos to see when you're when they're, the circle's a little quiet, and then when they're done, it's a totally different circle. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. um, Fitzpatrick, if he hits one move, the place blows up. Explodes. And, and the true thing is, is you might not have a dance circle if Ryan Fitzpatrick hits a split. If I thought if Ryan Fitzpatrick hit a split or even attempted, we're a going split. home. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're go even if he attempts, so we're going home. It's over. Jameis is great. The reason I had him higher than most people is he's never going to not be afraid, and he might get in a few times to get other people involved. So he's keeping that circle alive. Mm -hmm. My bottom five: Cousins <laughs> is last. Andy Dalton, I found a video of him doing the chicken dance, and it's just really embarrassing. And at one point, no one was doing the da -na 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 -na, like the thing with him, and so he just stood there and gave two thumbs up. <laughs> and as soon as I saw that, I said, I can't have this guy anywhere near it. Drew Brees, I found a clip of them in the locker room where he's dancing. Drew Brees 
is like the dad that does one new move and everyone laughs. But what put him at the, the bottom of the list is I hear Cam Jordan. If you listen to the clip that I posted, 30 seconds in, he walks in and Cam Jordan goes, who let him dance? And when I heard that, that's a great quote. Yeah, I went. You got to be towards the bottom. Uh, Flacco is too stiff, mm-hmm. and and Tom Brady. It's Tom Brady's right there with Breeze, where they're dancing and they think that everyone is super happy that they're dancing, but they're really going all right. Like six more seconds, and then like let's get somebody else in there. What is the optimal amount of time in the wedding circle that you're supposed to spend? Because you don't want to be there for thirty seconds. seconds. Twenty five seconds. That's, I was going to say more like fifteen. The the elites can give you 25. Okay, if you have enough material to sustain yes. 25 seconds. Baker's giving you a solid 25. Deshaun, Cam uh, Cam Newton, they're giving you a... Jameis might go 50. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, is he might go too long. But Cousins is going to give you, like, one move for four, and then he's like, I gotta get out of here. That's the thing, too, in the wedding circle. When you see someone come in, literally just, like, shake their hips for three seconds and then scamper back to yes. the side all sheepishly, it's like, you didn't even bother. Like, come yes. on, at least get, you should be three or four moves deep. Did you see any names that were surprisingly high, surprisingly low, or anything to talk about? Well, as you know, I'm much more into the criteria for yes. these because you could go in a lot of different directions. But for me, number one, you want someone that has a signature move. Yes. Right? Cam has the dab, right? Yes. And Aaron Rodgers, he could always discount double check it. Absolutely. Right? If you were at a wedding and Aaron Rodgers did a couple of little cool yes. moves, did a little disco something, and then ended it. On the discount double check, people would lose their mind. Yes. So if I had him more towards the middle because Rogers is also one of the too cool for school guys. That he he and Matt Ryan and Jimmy G. I have and Trubisky. I have them being great in the circle laugh guys. That when someone's going, they're like oh, clapping and laughing. Yeah. But when it points to them, their first reaction is oh, I'm good. Uh-huh. And 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 they have a role like like. Eli is, and I gotta admit something. <laughs> I forgot to put Eli on the list. And, and this pe- was this was not malicious. You, no, you forgot. People are like the constant disrespect to Eli needs to stop, and I'm like, bro, I just forgot. You did have Daniel Jones at seventh, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> I don't even. I didn't even put Daniel Jones on there, did I? No, no. I'm just kidding. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Oh yes, but um, it's. Like Russell Wilson is about seven or eight because he dances, but he'll give you the 15 seconds and then he'll be on the outside keeping rhythm Mm -hmm. and like ready to go in, but like no one's asking for it. So he's an elite level circle guy, but not an elite level dancer guy. What are your feelings on, you know, like one person goes in the middle, they do a thing, they come out. Second person goes in the middle, they do their thing, they come out. Then a couple goes into the middle. Russell Wilson and Ciara. Right, she can bust a move as well as anyone out there. Right, the two of them—if they had like worked something out, if yes. they had a little routine that Absolutely. included a dip and a lift and a spin—people going nuts for that. That'd be insane. So, it, you know, I think that's a value add. Maybe like Tom Brady with Giselle in the middle of the floor—that could be a little more value than I think you're you're giving him credit for. I had Lamar Jackson at 17. People were very surprised. Guy can move. But I looked. Every touchdown, he does the Kodak bop. It's the only dance movie does. (laughs) I even found a video in college where he was interviewed and they said, what's your celebration going to be? He goes, oh, I only do the Kodak pop. I'm glad that you have a move, but your move needs to change based on the location. You're doing a home team move, but if you go to someone else's party, they might not know the Kodak pop. You might need some variety, and variety is very important. To I think this is a little unfair of you to to judge his wedding dancing based on exclusively his touchdown dancing. It's not a great move. 
And it's the only move he does. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if someone asked you to make a bunch of burgers and hot dogs for a, a barbecue yeah. and then you you judge their five star cooking based on the burgers that they made. Yeah. It's like, no, no, they were asked to do a specific thing here. Right. They, they might have I, a whole bunch more like, in the chamber. This would be my, part of my criteria. If you score a touchdown, you do your best move. That's their moment to shine. You don't think Derek, you save it for a I, wedding? I watched, I, <laughs> I watched an interview where Derek Carr said he can do a moon dance or a moonwalk, but he's only doing it publicly until he scores a touchdown, like a running touchdown. I don't think he's gotten it yet. Hmm. So people save up. You know what I mean? That's true. I have seen, I know Travis Kelsey can dance after touchdown. We've seen it in the, in yeah. the end zone, yeah. yeah. We see that one guy on the Panthers that's always doing that chicken head shit. Like, yes. Yeah, so, um, it, it was, it's so much fun to like find videos of these guys dancing. Um, I was very, imp- I, I hear stories of Josh Allen. I asked some guys, Derek Carr, the video of him dancing in that is really great. A lot of people sent me the video of Eli Manning and Odell's commercial right. as proof that Eli can dance. Like that's not proof of anything. It was proof of editing. <laughs> Lifted up Odell. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Commercials cannot be trusted, right? Because harnesses yeah. and editing and CGI, and we don't, and we don't know what went I'm taking this very seriously. I, I can appreciate that. Can I just throw uh, something at you? Because your, your bottom five has Brady, Flacco, Breeze, Dalton, Cousins, and the, the running theme there is that they're going to be a little too stiff. Oh, yeah. Right, and they're, they're not going to really ham it up. Now, I'm just thinking back to all the weddings that I've been to in my life where you're on the shuttle bus back to the hotel or you're, you know, you're driving back to your hotel, whatever. What's everyone talking about in the room is the most awkward moment of the night, mm. right? What's the thing that you remember five years later from this wedding is, oh, that it really insanely awkward six foot nine guy that like kind of did the worm, but then it fell apart and then he, he his shoe so fell which, off. Which one of these might surprise me? Joe Flacco. Like, <laughs> I think you're right. I think if Joe he Flacco the, went out there. I think you nailed it. He was the one guy as I'm filling out where I'm like, Flacco might do something fucking That's crazy. what I'm saying. Because I agree with you. He's built up so much equity in our brains as he's a statue You're out right. there. Because I look at these and they're all call and responses. Dalton would get nervous. Breeze would do what everyone else is doing. Brady is just going to jump around and do this hand motion <laughs> thing that he does. Yeah. I don't know about Foles. Rivers is too busy watching all the kids at the table. But I, you know what? If there's one guy that would fuck up my rankings, it's Joe Flacco. Yeah. Because if Joe Flacco did that thing where like he spins on the ground and then ends in a pose. Uh, like, like a soccer goal celebration? That, like, that's why I put Fitzpatrick there because like Fitzpatrick would jump in there in the top five. Like he would do it. But if Flacco did it, the walls are coming down. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't even hold the rest of the wedding party. It's just and everyone like, just send everyone home. He licks his like unibrow <laughs> and gets it done. But everybody was sending me the Odell Beckham Eli thing. And then ACL epidemic struck the Giants. I know. Corey Coleman goes down. Sterling Shepard apparently breaks his thumb. Probably will not be a season-long injury, though. But you have to imagine a thumb injury for a wide receiver, not great. And then Golden Tate is now facing a four-game suspension. And I'm going to be honest, I had people DMing me uh, the day before saying, shh, I hear a Golden Tate suspension is coming. So now I have to take those DMs a little bit more seriously next right. time. So props to the 33% that were sending me that. They have the inside info. But their starting wide receivers for the Giants are Cody Latimer, Darius Slayton, Benny Fowler. Like, and I'm wondering, is this about to be the curse of the Beckhambino? Oh, I like this. Not the Bambino. Yeah. When the Red Sox got rid of Babe Ruth, 
there was this collapse, that they had been this proud organization with five World Series titles, and then it went about a century, as you're very well aware. I'm well aware. Of the Red Sox not winning. The Giants have four Super Bowl trophies. Beckham has now been traded to Cleveland. And it seems almost too ironic that all of the receivers, the same position he left, that position is now collapsing. And I'm just wondering, are the Giants about to feel a curse at the wide receiver position? This is I, you've, you've come to the right place as Ooh, someone yeah. that's been on uh, the Mr. Red Sox fan. Right. Mr. Red Sox fan. And in, in growing up in the in the 90s and early 2000s, we truly never believed that, uh, I, that never, we, I never thought you'd win. Right. And, and then once it's broken, of course, you can reel off, yeah, yeah. you know, four more in the next 10 years or whatever. But uh, yeah, with when it comes to the curse of the Bambino, you don't realize it's a curse for the first 15, 20 years. It only becomes the curse of the Bambino in retrospect, like 25, 30 years down the line. Sample size. To yes. Go, oh, it started the same year. Because if the Giants don't win for the next four or five years, that's just luck of the draw. Anyone cannot win for five, 10 yes. years in a row. Right. So only when the next generation is coming up, they're going to look back at this era and be like, oh, this was the curse of the Beckham Bino. Because I will also say the worst possible case for Giants fans is, well, how can we evaluate if Eli is actually that bad because their wide receiving core was so depleted? Hmm. Are like they have been able to make excuses for Eli for the last five years. The offensive line isn't where it needs to be. They never had a running back. Now... Changes in the OC. Well, how can Eli play? All of his wide receivers are hurt. I'm just saying, Giants fans, I'm very worried that this could extend the Eli window. Now, Daniel Jones is the future. At the same point, are they going to go, do we really want to throw our rookie into a situation with no wide receivers? That's exactly what you want to do. I just... I'm just worried that the is the curse of Becca and Bino really extending Eli even more? That's like, is interesting. That, is that part of the curse? Well, I mean, it, it, that's entirely possible that Beckham leaving, like people are going to think this offense would have been trash no matter who you put in there. So you might as well respect the guy yeah. that brought us two rings. The fact is they haven't won a Super Bowl since 2011, I believe it was the 11 season. Right. So it's not like they've been lighting it up year after year, making the you know NFC championship even yeah. every year. And then Beckham leaves and all of a sudden everything falls to crap. So right. you can't quite blame everything on one guy. I just, as someone that has lived in this city now for five and a half years, and I've heard the talk show hosts and the newspapers blame everything on Odell. I personally am and somewhat relieved that they're going to experience a post Odell um, issue mm. because I think he was not the issue here. And so I'm secretly hope, not secretly, I'm very publicly hoping that there's a curse. But you know how it works with fandom, right? Where they're, they're just going to take whatever happens and they're going to say, oh, it's better for the team. They're going to convince themselves of that. It's that cognitive I dissonance. I don't think they are. Like You think they're just going to sit in a room and cry about Odell for the next I, 10 years? I have years? had a very intimate relationship with Giants fans. <laughs> yes. And there is a sadness right now when they see highlights of Odell. It makes them feel sad. He was the star. He was the guy. He was the one that the little kids bought jerseys of, and they had moved on. And I think it's been a weirdly, really weird process. Now... We got a chance to interview in Tahoe, Mr. Jordy Nelson. This is not the longest of interviews, but 
It was very enlightening for me. He talked about Aaron Rodgers. We got a lot of insight there. But I think the thing that you'll appreciate the most is him talking about why he loved going to the Raiders because of the perspective that it gave. And after this interview, I'm going to get into why it's the opposite for A.J. Green. So here's my conversation with Jordy Nelson. Yeah. This is a one-minute interview with Jordy Nelson. <laughs> first of all, how are you? I'm good. This is my first year here in Tahoe. Your first year, too? Yes, absolutely. How you feeling? Is this your first year as a retired man, too? Yeah, yes. It will be hopefully official here in about a month. Um, we'll be headed back up to Green is Bay. Is it to weird, sign. bro? It's not. I think it will become August, September, but right now it's... It feels really nice not thinking really? about training camp. <laughs> so, oh, because that's the part when you're a vet where you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, with I mean, we're camp. What, they're two weeks out of training camp, and last thing that's crossed my mind is going to it. So, I think this fall will be a little different, but um, I look forward to it being home with the family, um, back in Kansas, just relaxing. I've always wondered this: when you have your career with the team and you share that relationship with the players and the fans, and they want you to do that one-day contract at the end, the fans are so. Yeah. What is that like to know that the love is just so strong? Um, it's overwhelming. I mean, I don't, it, you know, it was another thing to do, I think, and a lot of people do it, but then I've talked to some people and some people in the organization, some pe- those fans in the area, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're so jacked that you're coming back. We're happy for it, blah, blah, blah. And so it really makes you understand why they do it, and it was, you know, I was very appreciative when Mark Murphy gave me a call and gave me that option to come back and do that and look forward to doing it in August. What's it like to be a great wide receiver that doesn't play in the slot that much? <laughs> right? Come on. Yeah. Um, you, I remember, dude, when you were at Kansas State, and you burn the shit out of a keep to leave at Kansas, and I was like, people need to stop sleeping on this yes. guy. Um, it was fun. I enjoyed all 11 years of it, uh, <laughs> in and out. It was fun to uh, have some different conversations, but um, we enjoyed it. it you know, yeah. there, we, there's not one thing that we, you know, regret of any decision we made or any experience that we had. Um, very fortunate, obviously, to win a championship. Spent 10 years in Green Bay, man. And at the same time, honestly, very fortunate to get released and experience that and not have this, like, perfect world yeah. of the NFL is so perfect. Go play 10, 12 years in one spot and everything's happy. So it kind of opens your eyes yeah, up a little it, bit. It allowed you to see what some people go through every year, every two years wow. and move around. So um, you don't want it to happen, but it was great to see that, to be honest with you. I know you have to leave, so I'm going to ask you one last question. On this podcast, we say Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. Pat Mahomes is close, Okay. But I'm curious, when you kind of experienced Aaron, was there a story of the first time when you went, this guy is just different in his ability? Was there like a, like an oh shit moment? Um, plenty of those, but to me it's his mind. When he can uh, pull things back from years before, drop out. Yeah, um, we did that in uh, game 15 in 2007 versus uh, the Vikings. And not every guy can do that. It's it's a whole nother level. And um, the best part about it was it challenged you to get to that level. Wow. To try to get on that same page to be able to form the chemistry that we had and uh, push you to the next level. When you hear people question that guy and how he is as a teammate, like, what's your response to that? Uh, You laugh, and uh, it's a joke. So, um, to me, those people, I don't know. I don't need to get involved in it. Because I say, fuck those people. (laughs) I can't. You can't say that. I'll say that. But But a lot of it, I mean. But I hear, like, the way that you're looking right now. It challenges you, like I said, to get on his level. And it's very hard to get there. And I'm not saying I did. But mentally, I wanted to be there. Yeah. And then I think that's why we had the success we did. I appreciate you. No problem. Jordy Nelson's got to run out of here. Time to go, hopefully, not hit people. Yeah, and uh, congratulations on reaching the next stage of your life, dude. Appreciate it. Now I get to hopefully play golf. Yeah, enjoy (laughs) it.
So what Jordy said was that he was glad to go to the Raiders, and it's kind of a shot at the Raiders, because it made him realize that the situation he had been in with the Packers was the perfect situation. It's nice that he was that he was able to realize that because sometimes you don't know what you have at a certain job, at any job, anyone that's out there at a great company, you don't know that until you go to a place that's not as great. And it's still, and that's the shot at the Raiders, is him realizing that the rest of the NFL is sometimes a clusterfuck, and he got that experience with John Gruden and the Raiders. So it's a little bit of a shot, but at the same point it makes you appreciate, and then when I see what happened to A.J. Green, and the fact that he got carted off, and I'm going to say it, part of the reason is the Cincinnati Bengals were trying to honor the NFL 100, so they held a practice at Welcome Stadium in Dayton, Ohio, and fellow wide receiver Tyler Boyd said the turf was terrible and that he saw rocks and pebbles on the turf. Unbelievable. And then your star wide receiver tears a ligament in his left ankle and is likely out six to eight weeks, which means... He's going to be recovering with an ankle injury at about around week four or week five. So who knows when he's going to be 100%. Right. And I think about how Jordy Nelson didn't know he was in the perfect situation his whole career and then realized that some teams are a clusterfuck. And here's A.J. Green, one of the best wide receivers physically that has ever played in the NFL. I am constantly amazed at when I see interview cornerback interviews and they go, man, I didn't realize how good A.J. Green was until I got on the field. He came in the same year as Julio Jones. Julio Jones has had Matt Ryan the whole time. Right. Julio Jones has had offensive coordinators like Kyle Shanahan. And still, A.J. Green is right up there with him statistically, pretty much head-to-head that entire run. With Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown as his owner-GM, one of the cheapest franchises, and I think about how A.J. Green doesn't even know what good is. A.J. Green's on the opposite. A.J. Green's star offensive coordinator was Hugh Jackson. (laughs) Now we look back and we know what Hugh Jackson is. Hugh Jackson won one game in two years. He couldn't get the offense rolling, and that was the star. Was he the star, or was it because they had A.J. Green and Mohamed Sanu and all these guys and a good offensive line, and like they had Jeremy Hill, and they had Giovanni Bernard, and they had Tyler Eifert? Like A.J. Green doesn't even know what good is. A.J. Green is one of these guys that when he's up for the Hall of Fame will have never tasted what these other guys have been able to taste. Unless his next contract he gets on some other contender. But he's my number one pick. Remember we talked about uh, the loner system in, in, yes. in Europe? I want A.J. Green to experience like one year with the Patriots. Ex- yeah, explain to me why the Patriots can't give, let's say, uh, you know, a 2020 second round pick to the Bengals in exchange for eight weeks of A.J. Green from December oh. to January. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. We'll just see what he can do. I just, A.J. Green, there are so many guys, like, I worried about, like, Vince Carter was kind of that guy for a while in the Raptors. Mm-hmm. And there's so many cross-sport guys that have been on one team their whole career. Like, that's how I feel about Mike Trout. Like, the Angels aren't doing shit. And he's just, uh, these amazing years, year after year, and they're never going to do anything. And yeah, now we're in, like, the ninth year. I keep thinking yes. Mike Trout's, like, 21 years no. old. He's now in his ninth year. And has never tasted any form of sustained success. Three playoff at-bats. 
And and I think about this with Calvin Johnson and those years in the Lions and how they weren't able to build everything, but I feel so bad for A.J. Green, and it makes me sad. And I would say the Bengals right now are up there with the Dolphins for likely to be first pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. I just – and I feel bad for Zach Taylor. You know what I mean? Here's this rookie coach coming in that – I don't have high hopes for the bank. I just feel bad for AJ Green. It makes me sad. So, but we know the NFL is crazy, and when it comes to these oh. divisional bets, right? Everyone, if you would, if you had to talk to a thousand NFL fans of who you have yes. to pick the the AFC North, would one of them pick the Bengals? No, because they're like forty plus forty five hundred in Vegas yeah. right now, or something like that. Throw down ten bucks. I don't know. Something crazy could happen. Because <laughs> here's here's my main thing: is the reason that I this is my theory about the Bengals. Of all of the Sean McVay friends that were hired, so that includes a Cliff Kingsbury in in Arizona, Uh, that includes, who was the other guy that got hired? Matt LaFleur going to Green Bay. The guy with the least experience was Zach Taylor. And we saw this with the Seattle defense as that spread through the NFL. As all the teams see it a lot, they learn what the beaters are. They learn what the, like, they study Kyle Shanahan and that helps them with Zach Taylor. Zach has the least amount of ammunition because he's, he was a quarterback's coach. So he will be the one that everyone's ready for, but he doesn't have the answers to their answers. Plus he has Andy Dalton. Plus their offensive line is injured. Plus they don't have AJ green. The Bengals right now are really shaping up to be the team that I, they might be the first pick in the draft. They might be. They might be. They might also go nine and seven yeah. in the AFC North. <laughs> uh, all right. So we do have three pretty big, whoa, big off seasons, uh, which means it's time, Nicholas, to play that beautiful noise. Whoa! 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 Big off season. And it looks like uh, one that we warned people about last week is starting to really come into full effect. Yeah, this is happening a lot more. I feel like you mentioned something on the podcast and then like within 24 hours, there's some real news that either resolves it or furthers the story or something. This shit is very predictable. Um, Should we just jump in with number one? Well, I think the Trent Williams just update is kind of interesting. Yeah, so Trent Trent Williams, uh, the holdout update, Morgan Moses wore a Trent Williams jersey. To a press conference, which... I think what's interesting is the Jason Lock and Fora tweet. That yeah, really started everything. He tweeted, as I reported months ago, the relationship between Trent Williams and the Skins is totally fractured. He doesn't trust Bruce Allen or the medical team there and made it known long ago he does not intend to play for them again. Now, Washington has come out and said that part is not true. Morgan Moses also said that he expects Trent Williams back. But teammates always say that when they think a deal is going to get done. I don't know if Trent Williams wants more guaranteed money, but as we talked about on last week's show, this is when there is no trust with a GM and it's a medical so much more staff, than just money. It's so much more than money. But we're, I think, going to get with Trent Williams something very similar to the NFL ref holdout that happened. The perfect storm of the NFL ref holdout was 
there were a lot of calls being missed on the field. The fail Mary, right? And then there was the fail Mary, which you need for leverage in anything, a perfect representation of an issue Mm. to prove that you need it. So when the Seattle Green Bay game came down to one ref's hands up and one ref's hands going side to side, the funniest picture on Instagram. That's an issue. Fix it. And then they came back very ceremoniously with the hat tip at the Thursday night football game. I believe that Trent Williams, if he is real about this, is going to have that situation probably in week one. Because right now, the backup is Eric Flowers. That sound you hear is a 33% laughing (laughs) because they realize what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure Washington plays the Eagles in week one. If Case Keenum, who I'm betting is the starter get sacked multiple times on Eric Flowers' side, Trent Williams is going to have so much leverage because it's Eric Flowers. Like, there is no left tackle in this league that's more of a punchline than Eric Flowers. Right. Incredibly talented, but he's a turnstile. And you saw him twice a year with the Giants. I'm just saying right now that if Trent Williams is patient, his holdout, I know he doesn't want to do it, like nobody wants to miss games, But let Eric Flowers get out there. Maybe it happens in a preseason game. I'm just saying, Trent, take your time, man. Because the best proof of how good you are, it's going to happen in weeks one and two. Yeah, maybe Trent Williams, the move for him is just to go to his agent and be like, look, I need you to sign Eric Flowers in the next couple weeks and tell him to just let a couple guys through. Like Sunshine asked you to in yeah. uh, in Remember the Titans. Yeah. Just let him through. Yeah. Just let him through. The and best then I'll part get about Eric favorite. is you don't even have to ask. <laughs> don't even Fair. have to ask. Fair. All right, now let's get to the big woes. All right, Mike Daniels. How about that? Did you see that 13 teams called him mm. and he ended up picking? the Detroit Lions because of Matt Patricia. Unbelievable. Quote, he's a genius. He really is. He understands the game of football. First of all, very glad to know that the head coach of an NFL team (laughs) understands the game of football. You're you're understanding the woes. (laughs) Quote, he knows what it takes to be able to play for a coach like that. It means everything. I think when you look at the Detroit defensive line right now, it's looking pretty special. Trey Flowers, they signed the offseason. Now they have Mike Daniels, Ashawn Robinson, the high draft picked out of Alabama that's really been coming on. Deshaun Hand, who had an amazing rookie year last year. Snacks Harrison now can come in off the bench if you want. Okwara, who they got from the Giants last year and had eight sacks. If you know the Patriots' defense, they want the big uglies up front, and now they got a guy that Patricia definitely knows in Trey Flowers to add. And if they have one shutdown corner, they can be special, like you guys were with Darrell Rivas back in the day. They have that in Darius Slade Jr. I think the Lions, I look at how they were last year. They were the team that really made the blueprint on how to slow down the Rams. And if it wasn't for too late, forgetful touchdowns by the Rams, they would have only had like 16 points in that game. They had a great game plan to start the year against the Jets when they kind of had that that first play where they pick six on Sam Darnold. But the Lions held the Packers scoreless at the end of the year. But I look at it like this. The woe here is... Patricia, for the last year and a half, we've been talking about the things that he's not been great at. He's been not great at dealing with the media, having the argument with the guy that was slouching. Slouch, yeah. We were not great with him saying weird shit about practicing outside and inside and, and how's it going to work. Um, people have been questioning him. There were, there were big issues that came out last year about how he was trying to get people to run. They didn't want to. But when you have a pro bowler 
in your division that faces you twice a year, and he chose you when Adam Schefter reported that Mike Daniels wanted to go to a Super Bowl contender. And you're not going to find one analyst that's going to say the Detroit Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Now, I think the NFC North is the most up for grabs uh, division. And I think if the Lions are fourth and you said picking them, I'd say, I understand what you're talking about. Big offensive line, great D-line, all that. But for a guy to face twice a year, to look over at what the defense is doing every time, and then that guy go, he's a genius, I have not heard Patricia called a genius yet. I have heard people question his genius and say how much was Belichick, but to me, this is a ringing endorsement that wakes me up. It's a real woe for me mm-hmm. because maybe maybe we're sleeping on the Lions a little bit. I respect the fact that they finally moved on from Theo Riddick, and maybe it's going to be Carrion Johnson's team. I'm not going to get too hyped, but I'm paying attention to the Lions because of Mike Daniels right now. No, I like this. Uh, yeah, you you learn a lot. As you said, divisional rivals, they know a lot about their yes. opponents, right? Like I, as a Patriots fan, just know a lot more about the coaching staff of the Jets and the Dolphins yes. than I would about, you know, some random team on the West Coast. And when you're when you're in those, especially the NFC North, those, those teams are thinking about each other 24-7, yes. 365. They're learning from each other. They're copying each other's playbooks. They they're play l- each other on Thanksgiving or the Bears and Packers have the longest rivalry in all of sports. Yep, like it's, and they're truly all in the same area. Looking for one little edge. Yeah, they're right there. They're all within driving distance, essentially. So maybe that's part of the reason. Maybe Mike Daniels just, like, you know, wanted to be able to commute from Milwaukee to Detroit or something. I like affordable Ubers. (laughs) Yeah. But just got my attention. So free agent decisions, the first woe. Yeah. Uh, Next up, rookie buzz, Paris Campbell. Has, in my mind, become the woe rookie of the year already. Wow. And what I mean is... You're ready to make that, stake that claim. What I mean, though, is, is... As buzz goes around, I start to see where people gravitate to. And this first weekend was the Paris Campbell woe rookie. Like, he won Offensive Rookie of the Year this past weekend. Is what it felt like from a woe perspective. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So Frank Reich, a quote from Frank Reich, the two plays he made in the red zone today weren't hybrid gadget slot receiver type plays. They were legit NFL, I'm going to be a stud receiver plays, ran two phenomenal routes, made two big plays in the red zone. Everything we've seen so far has been a very positive sign. That's Frank Reich. When I say, whoa, remember, I survey the NFL landscape at all times. Friday, there was a huge fantasy analytics push behind Paris Campbell, where people were talking in dynasty leagues about how he's the guy to target on the Colts team because of the packages they use, and he fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. Then Saturday at camp, he does this. Frank Reich starts blowing up. And think about it. It's the first week of training camp. All of the national reporters are going around, and they're going to go to the camps of contenders first. So a lot of those national reporters were in Indy, and they watched that performance live. This is why I'm not a huge fan of going to training camps. You go to a training camp, you see Paris Campbell make all the best plays, and then when you go into the season— You're basing your entire predictions on Paris Campbell off of one practice. Mm -hmm. The bias builds where I'd rather almost see nobody follow the trusted reporters that I know are there every practice and pay attention to the whole thing. I know this is counter that a lot of people say you got to be out there and see it. 
going to be very honest. But where your like super spicy supernova hot takes going to come from if you can't just guess based on two plays that you watched? Exactly. Right. <laughs> like I always tell the story. Me and Sims went to Raiders camp one time, and we go over and watch Amari <clears throat> Cooper. And he's dusting people. Sure. And Sims is looking at me going, this is incredible. And we did a podcast later, and he was like, I'll tell you what, man, this Amari Cooper kid is special. He's really amazing. And I admitted to Sims two and a half years later that I didn't realize that what he was doing was special out there, that I just saw a guy making catches. Like, oh, that's cool. And Sims like, his footwork is insane. You need to know what you don't know. The intricacies of the game, I don't have down. And I'm very willing to admit that. That's why I trust on people that I trust to evaluate the game. So for me, it's I, and I'm going to be very honest, I'm going to tell you that I believe most of the national reporters that are going around and are watching practice have no fucking idea what they're talking about. <laughs> so you're, you're I, point- I, I'm telling you that most reporters do not understand what they're doing. I would sit there and I'd watch, because this is what happens, bro. Eight reporters will sit to each other on the sideline, and they're all watching, and then a guy makes a catch, and they go, he's really good. I don't care about the catches. You know what I care about? Who's getting first-team reps? Mm. Because that's showing me who the coach wants to put in. But from, like, a catch being great or, like, a coach telling me that this guy is really showing up, that might be motivation. I'm not taking that coach's word for it. It's just a lot of bullshit. This is a big Jackie McMullen thing, who is, to me, one of the GOAT reporters yes. of all time. Austin Globe and all that. Oh, yeah. And just been covering the NBA for decades. She was talking about how don't focus on how many points they scored, how many assists they got. Focus on what assignments the coach is giving them. Yes. Oh, look at that. You know, this rookie is out there in the fourth quarter of a Defending close game. Kobe. Right? Like, yes. that's the assignment he's getting. Now, whether he succeeded or not, that can be factored in later. But let's look at this young guy and say the coach who's around this guy more than you are as a reporter he's giving this person this elevated assignment that matters more this is what we always just talked about with jabril peppers jabril peppers would be played 30 yards off the line of scrimmage and in a way hidden on the defense and people would say oh but look at the interceptions it's like the coaches do not want to put him in one-on-one situations right that's the true feeling about jabril peppers so that's when you see like highlights and all that stuff they're just highlights i wish every beat reporter out there would just track snaps and reps with the first teams because that's the information that we can glean. The rest of it is a day-to-day basis and a lot of it's bullshit. So that's my long take there. I like it. Moving on to woe number three. Yes. Into the world of Bears kickers, which has been a saucy world the last couple of months. The best thing is quarterback controversies. (laughs) Yeah. But we don't really have that. There's only one team where we have that right now. The Dolphins? And that's Josh Rosen versus Ryan Fitzpatrick. But the Bears... You don't consider the Redskins to be a little bit controversial? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yes. I just feel so convinced that they're not going to play Haskins right away. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's set. We got Case. We're good. And when it's a rookie, like with Daniel Jones, you're like, whenever they... They've already probably circled on the schedule when they want to bring them in, mm-hmm. and so it's it doesn't feel like a real battle to me. What's the word one level down? Because QB controversy to me is yeah. like, oh shit, do we choose Brady or Bledsoe? Oh yeah. my god, that's a controversy. What's one level QB down from quandary? that? A QB quandary. Yeah. Okay, the QQ. I like yeah. this. The, the QB quandary. But There's the a couple teams. Bears kicker battle. That's a battle. Feels like a quarterback battle because of how their season ended. Because of how they've treated it thus far, the fact that Matt Nagy has been replaying the double doink constantly, Ugh. the fact that they're they're 
openly having kickoffs at the, the silent, end of every practice. The really like weird silent but it, tryouts. It went up a notch this week. <laughs> yeah. Have I got some news for you, people following the kicker quandaries I out love there? It. Bears kicker Elliot Fry had made six of seven field goals Saturday when he insisted that he try a 60 yarder. He split the uprights. And he banged it through. <laughs> Eddie Pinero had drilled six of seven on Sunday when it was time for what Matt Nagy called, quote, dealer's choice. Coaches asked Panero if he wanted to try a 60-yarder the way Fry had. Quote, I was like, nah, you guys hit 60 yesterday, Panero said. We're going to 63 today. Bang! Panero made the 63-yard kick with distance to spare. The crowd of 8,813 chanted his name at Olivet Nazarene University. Apparently, they said that the explosion of the cheer Bears players were saying it rivaled being in Soldier Field. That's amazing. So think about this. This is why it's awesome. I didn't know that. I didn't even know who was trying out to be the kicker before I saw this. Elliot Fry and Eddie Panero. These are the two guys going for the kicks. Usually with the kicker battles, it's kept secret. Everything is coming out about this kicker battle. So Fry goes out there and bangs a 60 on Saturday. You know he went home, called his family. Puffed his I just chest out. I a 60-yarder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Practice is mine. Then the next day, Panero comes in, and Nagy, probably in front of the whole team, was like, what do you want to kick? Motherfucker said, let me go 63. Dude. Banged it in. I think what we should do, I'm, I'm thinking this right now. Do you want to be, I'm going to give you first pick. Do you want to be an Elliot Fry guy or an Eddie Panero guy? I want to go Ed, Ed, Eddie Panero because he sounds like a dude from Jersey. Eddie Panero. Oh, you know old Eddie Panero, old All kickster? Right. And then I'm going to be a Fry guy. Your Fry guy? Elliot Fry. <laughs> so what we're going to do is, is as stories come out throughout camp, I'm going to try and find the positive Elliot Fry stories. I love and this. the negative Panero stories. And your team, Eddie Panero. Hashtag Team Panero. Join team me. Team Panero and I'm Team Fry. And uh, By the way, do you know much about any of these guys? No fucking nothing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about these guys. I'm but going. I really want to get emotionally invested into the Bears kickoff. Yeah. So I'm going with Elliot Fry. In the span of the last 12 seconds while you made up this game, I'm now super emotionally invested in the future super. of Eddie Panero. Like if Eddie Panero gets it off of 160. I'm picking yarder, him up in fantasy. How about that? Third round. Wow. Third round pick in fantasy, wow. Eddie Panero. That would be amazing. <laughs> All right. We are now fully invested in the Bears kickers. All right. So the other interview that we had is with Kyle Rudolph. Really good conversation where he talked about uh, the tight ends in the league, Kelsey and, and Ertz, and what he takes from those guys. How this offense for the Vikings got comfortable at the end of the year with Stefanski, the new OC, and Kirk Cousins. But I think what's really cool is the Anthony Barr story. The Anthony Barr signing with the Jets and coming back. Kyle Rudolph has the same agent, and let's just say he woke up surprised the next day. So here's my interview with Kyle Rudolph. That's when you know you're official when you yeah. get one of those. Yeah. You also know you're official when you sign on the dotted line with a brand new oh. contract. Thank you. I like to give my listeners inside the mind of what you guys go through because mm -hmm. they need to realize sometimes that you're human. Yeah, absolutely. When my contract's in a contract year, it's all I can think about. Mm -hmm. And then when you sign it, it's like freedom. Absolutely. Are you in that mode now? Yeah, and you know, going through this contract negotiation was different than, um, say, even my rookie contract or, um, you know, my second contract that I signed in Minnesota. You know, I've been there for eight years, and I wanted to stay in Minnesota, and they wanted yeah. to keep me in Minnesota. So it was more a matter of just 
And that's you know, a beautiful thing in the NFL. Out, yeah, how do we work out the financial situation given our team's tough mm. cap and cash deal? So, um, you know, I, I think it's more stressful on our families. You know, my wife worrying about, you know, our kids are enrolled in preschool sure. next year in Minnesota. Are we going to have to change that? But it really never came to a point where we ever thought we'd play anywhere else in Minnesota. And like I said, I had all the faith in my team personally, my agents, yeah. and the Vikings as well, that they would get something done. I know you Ohio guys have a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. Are you like kind of becoming a Minnesota guy yeah. now, though? No, Minnesota's definitely home for us now. That's awesome. I'll always have that hometown Cincinnati, Ohio sure. pride. Uh, but Minneapolis and the Twin Cities are our home for us now and, and, you know, for the rest of our lives, no matter where football takes us. I was talking to you on the way over here about Kelsey, another mm-hmm. Cincinnati guy. You two, Kittle, um, uh, who else am I missing right now? That's me. Ertz. Like, where are we right now with the tight end position in the NFL? Well, it's a fun time to be a tight end in the NFL. Sure does because, seem like it. Uh, you know, we feel like our position allows you to kind of dictate what you want to do on offense. And quite honestly, if you get more than one tight end on the field and you can create mismatches and kind of dictate the tempo of the game, dictate whether it's run or pass, uh, and it makes you unpredictable. Yeah. And in our league, defenses do such a good job of studying and preparing. And if you can just gain a little bit of an edge and be that, that multiplicity, much more, run a little 21, a little exactly. 12, mess with them a little bit. Yeah. When. How, when did you see Kirk get comfortable last year? What week do you think it really kind of turned? Well, you know, it was interesting because Kirk came out of the gates. You know, the Fly. first four weeks of the year, he was on fire. That throw against Green Bay in the corner yeah, was one of the best throws of the entire season. Yeah, under pressure. And, you know, I don't know if it was the drive after that or the drive before that. I don't remember the sequence, but he threw a post to Stefan for an 80-yard touchdown that was on the money, too. And, you know, we were down 20 points in the fourth quarter yeah. of that game and came back, tied it had a chance to win in overtime and you know unfortunately just ended in a tie but it's it he came out on fire uh, last season and you know I think our lack of success kind of overshadowed his success as a quarterback last year. You see year. how they just cheered for Charles Barkley? Love Chuck. I got to know Chuck earlier this offseason. I played in a celebrity basketball game and I was on his team. He was so my coach. So Chuck is this podcast official sports uncle. Awesome. He's accepted that. Yeah. So whenever we need a little advice or drink and he wants to talk to me about women and stuff, he's the sports he's the uncle. He's the uncle. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. Um, with, with Kirk, they'll go into year two. Are we expecting the offense and also with Stefanski? Mm -hmm. Because that offense completely changed gears when he came in. A healthy Dalvin Cook. Mm Kind of feel like you guys are getting slept on a little bit. Yeah, but that's okay. You know, that's kind of how we like that. And, um, you know, rightfully so. We didn't perform on offense last year. Our defense played really well for most of the year. Special teams gave us a chance. And, you know, we didn't execute on third Mm -hmm. down. We didn't score as many touchdowns in the red zone as we're accustomed to. Sure. And, but, with Kevin Stefanski taking over, also the addition of Gary Kubiak sure. kind of mentoring our offense. Uh, he brings a lot of championship experience to our offense. I have two hard-hitting questions for you. First one's actually serious, second one not so much. With the Anthony Barr thing, mm-hmm. where were you? Because I was, like, fascinated by yeah. it. What was it like to, as, a, as a teammate to experience that? I was actually, so Anthony and I have the same agent, Athletes First in Southern California, and I was in their office at the time. Wow. And... You know, his agent would come out of his offense office and it was, you know, this deal is close. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I'm on the phone. He wants to go back to Minnesota. And it was back and forth, limbo, limbo. And then when I left the office that day, he had agreed on to the, Jets. the Jets deal. And then I woke up the next morning and I 
glad we got him back. Yeah, what did you like? Did you already congrat? Because you're going to congratulate mm-hmm. if he goes to the Jets too. Yeah. But yeah, no, I had just sent him a text and told him congratulations, and you know, it's that's what you work for. You you yeah. work your whole career to get yourself in a position where you're set for life financially, your family's set for life. Yes. And he was able to do that. And then to find out that he was going to take less money to come back to Minnesota because of the culture, that was pretty cool. That's got to feel good. No doubt. And I think that's one of the things that we have and one of the reasons I think we'll separate ourselves from other teams in this league is the culture that we have in our locker room. You know, for myself personally, I had no desires of trying to get the free agency and going somewhere else and, and possibly making more money. I wanted to stay in Minnesota. It's about the culture there. It's about winning the first championship in Minnesota. Bro, even the way you say Minnesota, you're picking it up. Oh, it's coming uh, through. I did rankings recently. This is my last hard-hitting question of if I were to rank quarterbacks and their ability to use the grill, mm-hmm. one through 32. Uh, one, I had Drew Brees. I did deep dives in everyone's social. Yeah. Two was Stafford. I've seen these guys do the grill. I had Kirk Cousins last. Mm-hmm. Because there's been some pictures that have come out these last few years using tinfoil on the grill. He had one where it looked like there was no seasoning at all. I just need to know if I'm on base here right now. Am I off base? I, I mean, Have you it's ever tasted to, Kirk Cousins grilled food? I have not. I have not. It, it's hard to argue with that evidence, you know, if you're putting the tinfoil <laughs> down and no seasoning. Um, but I feel like now as a father of two, uh, that's kind of your responsibility. Is like to you, not – oh, is to no, get to, better at to it. to get better at the grill, can you, absolutely. Can we, we – I just want to work with Kirk. I yeah. want to improve this part of his game. We, we'll, I'll check in. We'll, uh, I'll see maybe this summer before we go to camp. We'll I would do a love little that. barbecue. Salt, and, pepper, a little garlic. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like a little okay. seasoning on it. I got a burger seasoning for you. One of my former teammates, Chad Greenway, taught me this. So I you know, was as you're, packing the burgers you know obviously you never just throw the pre-packaged burgers on the grill (laughs) so um Worcestershire okay the chipotle tabasco Ooh. and then some salt and pepper mix it all up and then throw that on the grill give it a try and there it is so the if you ever do a tight end grill, to make Kyle Rudolph grill, I, I'm going to put you number one if Thank I ever you. do this. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Kick some ass, dude. Thanks again to Kyle Rudolph. Uh, hit that motherfucker up on Twitter. Dude's like 6'11", by the way. Imposing He's, gentleman, but nice as hell. Him and Kelsey, when you see them, you go, I understand why you can block and receive. Sure. Because you guys are practically offensive linemen, except... You're, you have like 5% body fat. And you know that if he wanted to turn into an offensive lineman, just give him like three months of the right different kinds of workouts yes. and meals, and he'd be there. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, so the float tank. So we have not talked about this yeah, yet. Yeah, I want to hear. Many people do not know what it is. I was listening to my guy's podcast. His name's Alex Mitchell Hart. Uh, you can listen to his podcast uh, called Mitchell Shares. And I've known this guy, went to college with him, and he's really been one of my Sherpas through like meditation and stuff like that. He'll send me books and then I'll buy the book and end up reading it. Like that's how Atomic Habits, I saw he post about on his Instagram stories. Like I'm going to check this out. Sure. But he has done float tanks like 70 times. Wow. And I was like, all right, I want to try it. And float tanks is complete dark. If your eyes are closed or your eyes are open, it's the same thing. That's crazy. So you experience like blindness, yeah. which is interesting. You are in a huge tub 
with a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. That's how concentrated it is. Like the Dead Sea. So when you lay on it, you legitimately float. Like it's impossible for you to touch the bottom and it's shallow. And um, also when you fully relax your head, when it goes underwater, your ears go under. So you can't see, you're not feel, you're not touching anything. And when your ears are underwater, you really hear your heartbeat. Oof. So you are, you feel like you're in outer space. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing that was weird about my experience was when I went on to Yelp to find the best float tanks, <laughs> this guy popped up and it seemed like a very official place. And then I realized it was a guy's apartment. Really? So I did it. In a dude's apartment. No way. Here in Manhattan? Here on 23rd. That's crazy. So, and it's this dude that looks like he might be 90, he might be 40. I don't know. Incredible head of hair. And books, as far as the eye could see, perfect feng shui. He had all these pencil drawings of like Albert Einstein that he's drawn and stuff. Like, this is a man that float tanks like three hours at a time. No way. Okay, so you just, would you like buzz up to his I'm apartment? I'm so glad I didn't tell you about this. This is fascinating. You did not tell me this. I assumed you went to a facility in Queens oh. that, you know, where they do no, this. I texted my fiance right beforehand. I said, if I die. Yeah, this is where I am. This is exactly where I am. <laughs> and uh, and I'm going to talk about this on, on Mitch's podcast more in depth too. But yeah, I got buzzed up and then he met me and I, I had to call him the day before to set it up. And he, the reason I felt comfortable was I read an article he's mentioned in like every article he's been doing it for over 30 years. So he's seen all of the fads come and go and he's just kept doing it Uh because he wants to do it. But the reason I felt comfortable was he purposely made it difficult for people, especially millennials to come. Like you have to talk to him on the phone because he doesn't want it to be some transactional service where people just come up. He doesn't want fucking casuals. And so in a weird way, I appreciated it. So I buzz up there and he spent time on the first one explaining to me how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then he put up a divider and then I took a shower in that apartment uh-huh. and everything's professional. Like it looks like he's got all the, the stuff. Out of, there course, of course, of course, of course. And, uh, and so then I walked over and I go into a room and I close the door and then I open a, a sliding door and I get in. So it's completely noise proof in there and I get in and I lay down and I'm naked. Wow. And the first five minutes were me getting over the field that he was fear was going to walk in and like, like kill me. Sure. And then once I got over that, it was amazing. <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, how big is the tub? It's like the size of a bedroom. Is Eight it the foot si- long tub that's like four feet wide. Okay. And so what you do is you kind of push your the outside of your hands on the outside to create a stable thing, and you get in as calm as you can, and then you turn the light off, and you realize you're in pitch black, and then you slowly release your hands. And I'm just going to say that when I let my head go all the way back which is you don't even realize like he was telling me that he has Navy seals that come in and they're just so trained to not go underwater that once you really go back and you're just weightless, I, it felt like I was spinning in outer space, but I also simultaneously knew that my body was the same and I left and I didn't use my phone for like an hour or two. And I have never felt more connected. Dude. Like I try to meditate. But that was like cramming 10 meditation sessions into an hour. Are you going to go back? Yeah, I think so. What are you, he also like a monthly like a, thing? Or? 
Uh, I don't know. It's his house. Like, I, like, like he was like, you got very lucky. One of my normals canceled. And I was like, I don't know if this is you upselling me or whatever. Sure. But uh, like I went and had lunch with my cousin afterwards and I was just dropping gems. Like like our like the my coffee was not how I won. I said, it does not matter. It is still coffee. And I was like, what the fuck? Am I <laughs> what are these words coming out of yeah. my brain? But it just um, it was really, really good. It was really special. Um, is there some sort of safe word? Because I'm sure some people freak out after three minutes. I mean, you can just, just stand up. Oh, right. Okay, out. sure. Yeah. But like, what if you can't find the light switch? Or like, do people freak it's out? It's right next to your hand. <laughs> I'm just thinking like somebody freaks out. I. So what's interesting is, is like after I got done, I walked out and I go back. I take another shower. But you don't want to wash too much because you kind of want the salt there because it's great for your body. Yeah, it's, it's the same with the Dead like, Sea. I went to the gym the day before. And then after that, I was like not sore at all. Mm. Like it felt very therapeutic. And then I go out to his living room and there's a cool glass of herbal green tea that he made. And then we talked for like 10 minutes. Nice. And I found myself, my ego wanted to be like, so do people get freaked out? But mine was like, it's very interesting when it feels like you're falling. And then he would share his experiences. And then someone buzzed and he was like, my next person's here. And I was like, I got to go. Um, it was dope. This is great. So I thought about what is one meaningful thing that I want to leave because I think a lot of you guys reached out to me after the last podcast when I kind of went on that rant about putting your fears to paper. And I think that I want to challenge myself to have one little nugget that I want to impart. And I think one thing that I took from the whole experience that I would want to give to you guys is it's actually harder to get upset. And what I mean in that sentence is as we go through our days all the time, there will be things that pop up where you will have a decision, which is to get upset about things or to just let it wash over. And it's actually more effort to get upset. Now, it seems easier to get angry. It seems easier to channel your ego. And if Ingber does something that I don't like to look at him and to go, no, but really it takes more effort. It's so much easier to just go, okay, and then move on. And what I would say to everyone is when you're in, if you're in New York city and then there's some stuff happening in the subway, it's okay. Just move away from it. If you have someone that you work with that maybe frustrates you, it's okay. It's going to eventually get done. And if, if your favorite team or family or someone else disappoints you, it's okay. So I know that you guys got a lot of stress going on. You guys hit me up on the DMs about like shit that's going on in your life. Just remember that we're here for a long fucking time and it takes more effort to get angry than it does to just get the shit done. So that's where I'm going to say. I felt very in tune this weekend. Sounds like it. It was dope. Wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed now this. Now I want you to light a candle and an incense and say with me, hum. No. The new side of Lefko. I like this. Oh, it's going to last like a day. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So coming up later this week, uh, I have a few interviews. So I haven't decided which one to go. But 
Tuesday, 5 p.m. That is the cutoff for the Let's Fucking Go League, which I'm going to occasionally call it that. So make sure you sign up. Let's see if we can go over 800. We're literally at like 794 the last time I checked. And we're going to continue the whoa big offseason. For Nick, back there running the show. For Ingbert, holding it down. I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man. And we will holler at y'all soon. Can't wait to kick your guys' ass in fantasy. 